to the book of Amos. A little context I'd like to give before we start. As we'll see, this is a time where Israel is in a kind of, I guess you could say a booming nation. Their economy, their military, their wealth, power and fame, they've achieved it all at this time, but not because of what they have done. Because at the time, Israel is led by a king and not obeying the word of God at all. Though they have in their minds that they are doing what is right by the God and by his word. The king, Jeroboam, and this is Jeroboam II, the, from 2 Kings chapter 14 we learn and it tells us that he was not a good king. He reigned for 41 years. And he did gain and restore some of the land and cities according to the word of God that was given to him by the prophet Jonah. But he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The scriptures say that during this time and during his reign, Israel was very bitter. For there was none left bond or free. And there was none to help Israel. So God made Israel prosper by the hand of Jeroboam, for God would not blot out the name of Israel from under the earth. Now, before I go on, let us turn and see the word of our Lord from Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inspired word. May its truths lay on our heart now and forever. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in this time, O oh Lord, excited, amazed by your word and with all that it has in store for us. Lord, I ask you to be with us during this time. May this worship glorify you may it be edifying for your people and your church Lord would you be with me during this time and guard my mouth O Lord and let me only speak what you have given me to speak and nothing of my own and let you shine through and myself decrease all this we ask in Jesus name Amen from as we can, from as I started, Israel is not in a good. The country itself was in a good, but the people and their spiritualness was not in a good place at that time. Now, King Uzziah over Judah, he was actually a decent king. He reigned for fifty-two years over Judah, and God made him prosper. His fame and great military commander has spread even to the border of Egypt. 
But like so many before him and so many after him, pride, that wealth and power, led him to despise the word of God and all God has commanded him to do in order to worship God. And the end results, this once powerful king who is known throughout the land becomes a leopard and is sent to live with lepers. And, and as we look in here, we see a little bit of what I think can kind of be illustrated by our laws here in America. It's what God is getting to. In America, we have our federal, we have our state, we have our county, city, and even town laws. And the federal laws apply to all of America and its providence. And the states and so forth apply to their geographical location. Now the states are not allowed or supposed to lessen any of the laws set through the federal level. But they do have the power to make them more strict, to add to them. And we can see this all throughout different states as laws in, say, Mississippi and certain areas are less than laws in North Carolina in certain areas. And the judgment and penalty goes up and down depending on the state you're in. Now, above all the laws, we have our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, and our Bill of Rights, in which all the laws are supposed to abide by. Yet, the Founding Fathers knew that man is king to error. And they knew that some of their fellow statesmen during the time of the signing of the Constitution was in error. But, to sign the Constitution and for this country to come aboard, they made everything but one amendment amendable. There's only one thing in the Constitution that is not amendable. And that doesn't matter for a time. The thing that matters it is amendable because man is king to error. And man will always go astray. But there was one law that was used to construct our Constitution that is written not just for Americans, but for everybody. And that is God's law. And it cannot be strengthened, nor can it be lessened by anyone or any country. And that is what we will see here today from this passage, is that we cannot lessen or strict the law of God. That we must be shaped by God and, know, and not shaped by the world. To be shaped by God and not the world. And we'll see that there is only God's way. There's no highway option for anyone on earth. So be shaped by God and not the world. And this is what our text is telling us today. And we'll see this by our false reason. And as we see in here is because... God is sovereign. We are to be shaped by God and not the world because He is sovereign. God's word will be kept. And it does not matter whether you are saved or whether you are a non-believer. All paths lead to the throne of God. Revelation tells us 
that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is the Lord. There is only one road that we can take and either we walk it with Christ or we walk it with Satan. But both paths will lead us to the throne of God. So we are to be shaped by God and not the world. For our Lord is sovereign. If you would, look with me to verse 1, chapter 2. Or chapter 1, verse 2. <laughs> and he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The term here for Lord in my Bible and hopefully in yours is all caps. And so right off the bat, Amos is telling us that this is a covenant problem because the word there in all caps is the Hebrew word for Yahweh. I am who I am. And God's covenant name given to the people through the prophet Moses and recorded in the sacred scriptures so that all of God's people, all of us, will know God's covenant name, that we will know Him personally. <clears throat> and by employing that name, Amos is indicating that the Lord is speaking about His covenant relationship with Israel and with His people. The book of Amos, Amos is to rebuke the people for breaking their covenant with the Lord. And I know I've said this before, but it cannot be said too many times. Breaking the covenant with our Lord is not like breaking a contract as we know today. Our contracts are built on I do this and you do this. <coughs> Excuse me. There is give and take. And there is stipulations that if I do not do this, then you do not have to do that. Our covenant with the Lord is not like that. There is no breaking our covenant and getting out of it. By breaking His covenant, we have betrayed God and death is the only just response for breaking that covenant and betraying our Lord. It's not a fine. There's no jail time. But God is eternal. So every sin that we commit is an eternal sin against our Lord. Have you ever tried to help someone? Maybe given them a ride, food, money, anything that went out of your way to help someone else and they turn around and betray you. You feel like maybe they spit on your face. Well, I can promise you this. No matter how betrayed you have ever felt, no matter how mad you have ever gotten, of what someone else has done to you. It compares nothing to what we do to God in our betrayal every single day. Because we are sinners unable to do anything perfect in accordance with God's law. So how then do we not betray God? Well, we, like I said, we always will. Until glorification of the saints when final judgment is rendered, the old and the old places pass away, and the new heavens and earth are fully realized, fully healed. So until then, we must listen to the word of God, and do not trust our own understandings, but rest fully on every word 
of the word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. As we see in verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. We see a couple of parallels here in verse 2. The force with roars and utters his voice. Amos is comparing the voice of God to roars. And with that term, you may be picturing the lion, the king of the jungle, or the war of rushing water, which both are used throughout the scripture to describe the voice of God. And I draw your attention in Exodus 19 and 20, when the Lord came down to speak to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, it says that he came down to Mount Sinai and there was thunder and lightning and smoke covering the mountains because God, God came down on the top of the mountain in fire which called the mountain itself to start smoking. And God spoke in thunder. The war here in verse 2 paralleled with the utterance of God's voice is saying is showing us the magnitude and the importance of when God speaks in His Word. That no matter where we go, we can never escape the Word of our God. And He will always have the last Word. Revelation says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Christ is Lord. He will have the end. Next, Parallel in our verses, we see Zion in Jerusalem in the first half of verse 2. Here the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel because the king Jeroboam has set up temples in the city of Dan, in the city of Bethel, and in the city of Gilgal. Now some was set up by his father Jeroboam the first. Here we are speaking of Jeroboam II, the son of Goash. Well, yeah, Jeroboam the first one is not Jeroboam the second's father. They have the same name. And how we can tell though, he is the Lord here is condemning the people because they are worshiping at these cities. But what is key for us to remember is that the people at this time thought they was doing right by the word of God. They thought they was doing right in what the Lord has commanding them. We see in Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, where it says, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilead, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithe every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them for you so love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. They still sacrifice to the Lord. They still came. And today we may say that they still came to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. Well, we don't have Wednesday and evening nights. 
But I believe y'all catch the drift on that. The temples in Dan and Bethel and Gilgal were greater displays than the temple in Jerusalem. They spent more money creating these false temples, not focusing on what the Word of our Lord actually says. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 3 through 7, and it says, You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn the ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. But you shall seek the face You shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitant there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions, that you present your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your heart and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in you and your households and all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. The Lord has declared His place. He has declared where he shall be worshipped. Now, you may be wondering what this has to do to us. You know, God set his temple in Jerusalem and he is to be worshipped there. But what does this have to do with me? Am I supposed to go to Jerusalem and worship every week for worship? I don't know about y'all, but I, I couldn't afford that. I'd have to move over to Jerusalem if I had to go over there to worship all the time and kind of like living here. <laughs> By God's grace though, we live in the new age. The age after Christ's death and resurrection. Where the national distinction is not necessary because we are distinct by the walk of Christ and by abiding in Him and He abiding in us. The Israelites in the day of Amos did not abide in God. They trusted their own understandings and the laws of man, taking shortcuts and not obeying God's word and how he is to be worshipped. But, you know, shortcuts are nice, aren't they? I I like shortcuts myself. Uh, Thankfully to the church, they are partial whenever I first started. Seminary, uh, Bible software, Logos. And in it, you can type in something and it will bring up everything, every verse in the Bible that it says. It's an awesome shortcut. And I love it. And saves so much time. And I know there used to be a path behind the Brooklyn Hills subdivision on Terry Road 
that would lead you over to Lake Dockery that I would travel to go fish or for Halloween. But not all shortcuts are worth taking. You may think of another shortcut as the medium in the, in the highway or in between the highway and the frontage road. You've ever been backed up in traffic and you see the medium and you see people going over to get on the frontage road or to turn around so they don't have to sit in traffic. And almost all the time, after enough happens, they'll put a sign up, do not cross medium. But you still see people crossing it all the time. But it never fails. Sooner or later, your wide bow will be stuck in traffic, and there'll be a van, a car, truck, whatever type of vehicle, about at a, I don't know, a 70-degree angle with their back end in the ditch <laughs> and their front tires up to where they can't move and they have to be called out. Many people today lean too much on their own understanding concerning the worship of God. Within Mississippi alone, we have thousands of churches. I tried to get an accurate number for y'all, but it, it was too much. And I couldn't find there's so many different denominations and religions and churches in Mississippi. It's over 5,000. I can tell you that with accuracy. And that we take shortcuts with everything and we let our own superstitions lead us in how we worship. If we don't like something with all the churches, it's nothing for us to get and go until we find someone who is willing to put up with all wants and all superstitions on what we believe we should do concerning the worship of God. And in their minds, they think that they are worshiping God but they are not because they are letting go of God's word and trusting on their own understandings. We cannot change the law of God for God is sovereign over all. It is higher than all mankind and is spoken with the most supreme authority there is. God the creator, everything visible and invisible. We know from 2 Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. And it is too easy for us as fallen creatures to try to level our sin with our own understanding. We may say, well, it's not, it's not too bad if I do this. It's not like I'm robbing or killing someone. Or it's not like I'm shooting up meth. It's not I'm doing this. I'm not going out stealing. I'm not killing this little pleasure won't haunt me. This little shortcut is not bad. It still gets me to the same destination, does it not? It's all blah, blah, blah. We can find an excuse for every single thing that we do. For every single sinful action that humanity has ever made, we have found an excuse for it. And there is not one excuse that is worthy of the forgiveness of God. Not one. But by the grace of God, there is one who lived a sinless life. All of his life to the glory of God. Who came not to do away with the law, 
but to fulfill the law. The one whose life paid for our sins, our Lord Jesus the Christ. So if you are asked by our sovereign Lord, why should you be allowed in his kingdom? Why should you not be thrown in hell? For even in our best, even in our best types of worship, we still fall short. So why should you? Well, if you are with Christ, who abides in Him and He in you, and you have faith that He paid the punishment for your sins, that He is God the Son, the God-man, if you have that personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, that relationship with Christ that leads you to His Word, that empowers you to perceive His Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then you, if you have that faith in Christ, by the grace of God, you can say, because of Christ alone. Because of Christ you are saved, and it is by His blood your life is paid for once and for all, for all time. Because Christ died one death and took the punishment by descending into hell, and taking on the wrath of God. He was raised by the glory of the Father so that we too may walk with newness of life. It is in Christ we find our rest, our comfort, our joy, that we can give all our worries over to God, for He is sovereign. And when He speaks, He keeps His word. So be shaped by God and not the world. For God is sovereign and He keeps His word. And that there is our next point, that God keeps His word. We see in in verse 2 in the second half, the pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. The word here for mourn in the Hebrew, is in the same dominion as the meaning to perish. The same is true for the word withers. The author here is using this to parallel. And by doing so, he is covering all aspects of life from top to bottom. Mount Carmel, you might remember from False Kings 18, when Elijah faced off with 450 prophets of Baal to see which God was real. And our Lord Yahweh came in and fire and consumed the offering while Baal with his 450 prophets did nothing. And while researching Mount Carmel to see what it was like then to today, well, how can I put this? The easiest way to put this is I found another place I want to visit before I die. It's a very, very beautiful place. It's described to be flourishing with life. The word Carmel in Hebrew actually means garden land or fruitful land. It's a bountiful place. Much of the mountain is covered with pine, oak, 
Olive and Lowell. This place would have been well known to all the Israelites from the time in the story of Elijah. And cities are built around the base of a mountain. It was a major place where they would take the sheep to graze. And it was a fruitful and well-known land and also considered to be a, a sacred, holy land. The Egyptians have records dating back to the 15th century B.C. considering Mount Carmel a holy site. And during the days of Elijah, there was an altar to Yahweh. It was ruined at the time of Elijah. And so we believe that it was built by King David when he was there making offering to the Lord and then rebuilt by the prophet Elijah. In the 4th century B.C., a temple to Zeus was built there by the Greeks. And today, there's a monastery of the Carmelites, which is a monastic order of monks, order of monks from the Catholic religion. There's a mosque there, and there's a sect of Hinduism there that I cannot pronounce the name, so we'll just leave it as a sect of Hinduism. <laughs> this beautiful, flourishing place right next to the sea is amazing. I encourage you to go look it up to maybe this can have a better picture of what the word of our Lord is talking about. And while that place flourishes with life, on the day that the Lord will walk from Zion, and on the day He utters His voice from Jerusalem, that wonderful mountain flourishing with life will wither away to nothing. But what does it mean here that the, for us anyway that the top of the mountain Carmel will wither and the pastors of the shepherds will mourn? Well, much like the Word of God, we need to know a little bit of the context around it. Even for this winter semester, I'm taking a class on the theology of the Westminster Standards because they was written in the 17th century in a different environment than I live in today So to help me understand. And we must do the same when looking at the Scriptures contained in the Old and New Testament. Written by God, by the Holy Spirit. They are the holy inspired word of God, though written by the means of man. And here in verse 2, or in the latter verse, in the latter part of verse 2, we see the human characteristics of the means in which the author God used to record his word, and their means being the prophet Amos. Remember, Amos was a shepherd of Tekoa. The pastures was part of his life and walk. And as we've seen, Mount Carmel is a full flourishing of pastures for sheep to graze. John Calvin, great theologian, said, Another might have said, Mourn shall the whole country, tremble shall the palaces, palaces or something like this but the prophet speaks of Mount Carmel and the habitants of shepherds for he was a shepherd and the pastures 
in the Carmel, in Mount Carmel. Here. They represent everything that is pleasant. Anything of wealth in Israel and Judah at the time. Nothing on this earth is worth our worship. Nothing on this earth is worth putting stock into. And that's what the people of Israel was doing at this time. They put stock in their life because Israel and Judah was booming at this time. Their nation was flourishing. So why not? They believe they're doing what is right because their life is good. But that is not always the case because our life is only right and only good when we follow and rest in the word of our Lord. For He is our rock and our salvation. Everything created is worthless. Only God has worth. Only the Lord is worthy of glory, honor, and worship. Because God is truth and righteousness. He must be worshipped only how He tells us to worship Him. We must only worship God how our Lord God tells us to worship Him. And I believe it's easy to see how everything in this world is worthless. And the easiest thing that comes to my mind is the stock market here today, where we invest in companies and see our stocks go up and down. My own personal stock from whenever I walked in insurance, I watched it throughout the year 2020 with COVID-19 and the election. And I thought I was getting whiplash. Because I was watching it through this light there. It was going all over the place. It could not stay still to save its life because it is worthless. It may give some gain in this life, but that life is not our aim. Our aim is the life to come. And this pattern here that we see in Amos 1-2 of how they are doing how Israel is booming at this time. We have seen the same pattern in America in the past 100 years, almost exactly 100 years. And after World War I, America and other countries was at the height of wealth. They was getting paid war debt by Germany, just like Israel and Judah was getting paid by other nations' tributes. And in the 1920s, the stock market grew and expanded to a historical note more than ever before in the introductory age. But in 1929, the stock market in the world crashed and turned upside down. Draw your attention, or I remind you of the Proverbs in 16, Pride goes before the fall. A proverb that can be seen played out all throughout history. They knew the word of God, the Israelites did. They grew up learning it. But they chose not to obey it, to follow the world, and to follow their own understandings, in which I mean the laws of their king and the laws of the world. 
The state of the world does not determine the world's future. God has decreed everything that is, everything that ever has been and ever will be. God is the only one that decides anything. So why put your faith in this world? The Bible has promised hardship and struggling in this life. We cannot get over that. But we can find rest and joy in our sufferings, in our Lord, in God. So put your faith in God and in His Lord. For God keeps His Lord. God is the only one who keeps His promises. Look ahead to the light that is to come. Find your rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. God has promised that by His grace, through faith in Christ alone, we are saved. And through faith in Christ comes sanctification. Wherein God is walking in us by His grace, by the Holy Spirit, where the person of man dies more and more to sin and we are able to live more unto righteousness. Put your faith in God and in His Lord. For He has promised to be with you, to lead you to that righteous path. Put your stock in God, for He alone keeps His Lord. God made a covenant with His chosen people to be their God and we His people. And because God has made that covenant, He made it possible by coming to earth, completely humiliating Himself by being born Jesus of Nazareth, our God-man, the Christ. Our Lord put Himself put himself through the most painful and humiliating thing, so great that no human can comprehend the pain and suffering and humiliation that our Lord Christ went through for our sins, so that we could be His people. God keeps His Lord at the cost of His own life. Put your stock in God and in His promises a perfect peace, joy, and in rest in Him, our great triune Lord, that we will achieve in His kingdom after the glorification of the saints. So as you leave here today, remember the words of our Lord, the one who rules from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. Be shaped by God and not the world, for God is sovereign, and he is the only one who keeps his word. He has declared the outcome to bring him glory, and so that we may enjoy him forever. Be shaped by God and not the world. God suffered to keep His Lord. The God-man, Jesus Christ, died and rose from the dead by the glory of the Father to keep His Lord so we could be His people. Put your stock in God and in His Lord and be shaped by God alone.
For He is sovereign and He alone keeps His word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your word. May Your truth lay on our hearts forever. Oh Lord, how exciting, how wonderful Your word is to us. It is nourishing to our bodies. We may, we, may we go forth from here today keeping only to Your word and Your word alone, living on it. In Jesus' name, Amen.